good singing. <laughs> if you would turn to Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 21 through 34 this morning. Looking specifically at the woman who touched Jesus. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34. Please listen carefully to the holy and fallible word of God. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. And she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt her body, that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him immediately, turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Let's pray. O oh Lord our God, the healing power of Jesus. goes beyond what the physical world can provide. We are thankful to hear this story and it gives to us a hope that even points us to our everlasting and eternal residence in Christ. 
where there is no more pain and illness. Help us to see this woman's faith and may it also be the faith of thy flock here in thy church. In Christ's name, amen. As the blessed flock of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have become more conscious of being prayer warriors for the church at large, our own church, as well as for one another. As a congregation, we have been privileged to witness the showers of God's gracious response to our prayers as we encourage each other in the power of prayer, we often hear the following requests by even members in our own congregation. Please pray for John or Jane Doe that the Lord will heal not only their physical ailment, but that the Lord will use their ailment to bring that person to salvation in Jesus Christ. In this case, we are praying for the whole person, both the physical and the spiritual. Well, <laughs> that is exactly what our text is about this morning. The restoration of the whole person both the physical and the spiritual, in this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. Although we have seen already this holistic restoration in Mark's narrative, for example, the paralytic stands out in chapter 2, the intensity of the gospel kingdom upon human lives increases as the gospel unfolds. The next two stories, the woman with the blood disorder and Jairus' daughter will fall into this intensity. For Mark, the disciples' question becomes an underlining theme in these events. Who is this that even the winds and the sea obey? Who is this that even legion, Satan's demonics, obey? The identity of Jesus Christ. The Son of God is before us. It is constantly confronting us in an interesting and in an increasing dramatic manner through this gospel. How are you responding to each story as the gospel unfolds before your own eyes? Dig in and see Hear and listen to this glorious story about how this woman who has a bleeding disorder 
reaches out in faith to touch the garments of Jesus. Yes, indeed. Her story of the triumph of faith has two parts before us in our text. The healing event itself in verses 25 through 29 and Jesus' response and interaction with the woman in verses 30 through 34. But before looking at the woman's faith, let us note the structure of Mark's presentation from verses 21 through 43. Once again, if we can use, there's a kind, as scholars point out, a sandwich imagery can be helpful in seeing this. In verses 21 through 24 is the outer slice of bread. <laughs> in, verse, in those verses, Jesus has returned from the dominant Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee to the dominant Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus leaves as the Gentiles reject the gospel kingdom. When he gets off the boat once again, common to the western side of the sea, a great crowd assembles, verse 21. Out of the crowd emerges Jairus, one of the rulers of the synagogue, who falls to the ground, pleading that Jesus come to his house and lay hands upon his dying daughter. As Jesus goes with Jairus, a huge crowd followed him. However, that journey is interrupted by a woman who touches the garments of Jesus. Yes, because of this interruption, Jesus' direct dealing with Jairus' daughter does not appear until verses 35 through 43. If you will, the other slice of outer bread. The focus on Jairus and his daughter are the two outside slices of bread, <laughs> while the content between those outer slices is the woman who has the bleeding disorder and touches Jesus. As we move to the triumph of faith in the woman in verses 25 through 34, Mark's previous description of Jairus is extremely important as Mark provides the description of the woman. The contrast of these two persons is crucial in understanding that the gospel is going to go into all the world. It's an evangelistic aspect here that is being underlining the point of Mark's gospel presentation. First, note what Jairus and the woman have in common. They are both helpless. As they face the power of sickness, Jairus' daughter is terminally ill. 
and the woman's uterine bleeding has been medically incurable. But when we view both persons from their social, economic, as well as religious environment, they are quite different. Jairus is a male leader in the synagogue and is referenced in the text by name. The woman throughout the text remains nameless. And the condition of uterine bleeding renders her ceremonially and religiously unclean according to Levitical law. Furthermore, Jairus has a family, and there are many in his household. Whereas the woman's condition would put her in a station to prevent or terminate marriage and having children. According to Levitical law, she would have to live in social isolation because she is unclean and her impurity is transferred by merely touching someone. Next, Jairus is a man that has comfortable wealth, means, and influence, whereas the woman had drained all her money. As Mark points out, she spent all that she had to improve her health and, and also cure her illness. But the doctors could not improve her health one bit. The contrast is vivid here to show the importance and need that every single human being from every walk of life, whether respected from a religious, social, and economic perspective, or whether a person is totally outside the religious social and economic norms of the culture. Everyone needs the good news that is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Everyone is dependent upon the power and authority of Jesus and his kingdom that comes into the natural realm, the transforming spiritual redeeming revelation of grace and peace. Are you ready? Are you ready to see, hear, and listen to the triumph, to the triumph of faith in this woman who was totally healed by Jesus. Look at verses 25 through 29. This encounter between the woman and Jesus is quite extraordinary and splendid. Mark does something here that appears nowhere else in his gospel. In verses 25 through 27, there are seven striking participles that accent the state of the woman's draining 
an exhausting condition of, is, of illness. Twelve years she has suffered. Twelve years. I don't like a paper cut for five minutes. <laughs> Twelve years. Can you imagine? And over those 12 years, her condition never improved. In fact, they grew steadily worse. Verse 26. Now verse 27 is amazing. Amazing. She had heard the reports about Jesus. Now think, not only about her condition, but also of all she endured with respect to the Levitical law concerning her blood disorder. Please grasp this so you understand how determined she was in her faith to come into the presence of Jesus. Mark tells us twice that there was a great crowd about Jesus, verse 21 and 24. As Mark begins to specifically address the woman's situation in verse 24, he adds that as the great crowd is following Jesus, the crowd is actually pressing against Jesus and one another. Yes, there is a lot of touching and rubbing of each other in this particular crowd. According to Levitical law, since she is unclean, she is not to be socializing with anyone. And surely she is not supposed to be in a crowd where she can be touched or touch others. After all, if someone touches her, and if she touches someone else, that person must wash their clothes and bathe in water, being unclean until evening. Mark's participles describe her condition. The woman is desperate. She is determined to have some type of contact with Jesus, which is forbidden by Levitical law. Right now, she could care less about who she sees, touches, and contaminates. Her faith is driving her to the one who is the bridge from the state of being unclean to a state of being clean. Thus she maneuvers. 
She maneuvers through the crowd to move right behind Jesus in order to touch his garment. Verse 27. In verse 28, Mark gives you the picture of her determined faith. It's pretty clear there, is it not? If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. She is acting intentionally to touch Jesus' garments with the belief that if she touches his garments, she will be made well. She will be delivered from the imprisonment of her afflictions by Jesus' healing power. In God's providence, you see the result of her faith. You see the result of her persistence as you see it before you in the text. By touching Jesus' garments immediately, there's that Mark word, (laughs) immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body immediately that she was healed. The healing is immediate, instantaneous, no delay. Can you imagine after suffering for 12 years? Now, in the triumph of her faith, We come to Jesus' response and interaction with the woman in verses 30 through 34. You recognize, do you not, that in verse 29 that the woman was immediately healed by touching Jesus' garment. And in verse 30, that Jesus perceiving his power going forth from him, he immediately, immediately, Turn to the crowd. Make no mistake. The cure of her disease is immediately felt by both the one healed, the woman, and the healer, Jesus. But as Jesus turns around, he asks the question, who touched me? Who touched me? Who touched my garments? Scholars have a field day with this statement, as you can imagine. Liberals at this point say, see, Jesus is not God. He doesn't know who touched him. He doesn't have sovereign knowledge, not at all. But some conservatives maintain that Jesus, with his eyes pointed forward, has no idea who touched him. Are you serious? Are you serious? You mean the one who can perceive that one is thinking in their heart does not know who touched him? Thinking back in chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, Jesus knows and can perceive what is in the people's hearts that are around him. Those who claim that Jesus did not have a clue as to who touched him seem not to penetrate the flow of Mark's narrative here in the text. Please notice 
that the first time since Jesus' return to the western side of the sea, the disciples appear in our text in verse 31. After the woman is healed by her healer. Herein the disciples have an abrupt and sharp response to Jesus. Essentially they are saying, you see the crowd pressing against you. How in the world do we know who touched you? Don't miss how Mark is still presenting the disciples at this point in his narrative. They are still those who are wavering in immature faith. Mark has been exposing this since the storm at sea. After calming the storm, the sea, Jesus admonishes them for still having no faith. Chapter 4, verse 40. Remember they woke him, referring to him as teacher, just merely a schoolmaster. Well, nothing has changed even as they had witnessed Jesus had cast out legion in the man. Jesus' question here about who touched him is essentially directed to the disciples. Do you not yet know Who is this that the wind and the sea obey? Who is this that 2,000 demons obey? Who is this who would know who touched him from behind? Really? Jesus would have no idea who touched him. Now remember the overall theme of this text is the subject of faith. For the disciples' faith is still severely lacking. But in this woman, focus on her this morning, congregation. In this woman, faith is extraordinary. There's a contrast here going on in the text before you between the chosen disciples and the woman. And the woman. You don't want to miss it. Hostility. Pain. Suffering has characterized her life. She is the example of what faith and Jesus in the life of the church looks like. It is candidly being made visible before your eyes this morning And you do not want to leave without missing this. In terms of the coming of the kingdom of God, 
in Jesus Christ. She is a vivid picture of one who has waited for the Lord to renew her strength. She has essentially mounted up with wings like eagles. She now essentially runs and is not weary. She now walks and does not faint. So what does faith entail, congregation? What does faith entail? It entails confession, repentance, and belief in the gospel in your heart. That's the jettison of Jesus' ministry throughout Mark, there in Mark 1.15. You're seeing it being acted out and coming to life right here in the woman. Like the man with legion within him. Like Jairus, the woman comes to Jesus and fell before him. Verse 33. In this case, however, the woman in fear and trembling confessed what? The whole truth. Notice the text. The whole truth. She's confessing the whole truth about herself and the incident. That confession is a confession of, imp- of repentance. That is what is being implied. Her fear, knowing what she had just occurred to her, is the realization that the divine power of Jesus has just healed her. No physician in this world could do what Jesus just did. Her fear is a reverent awe of who Jesus is. She is in the presence of the divine almighty power. This is truly a woman of faith. In telling and confessing to Jesus the whole truth, she would really understand her actions against the Levitical laws in touching Jesus' garments. By touching Jesus... Her action would have been viewed of making Jesus himself unclean in relationship to the Levitical law. This surely was not a comforting thought in her fear before standing before Jesus. But Jesus is the one who comes To fulfill all the ceremonial Levitical laws. As he begins his ministry. He went through a cleansing. A washing for his earthly ministry. In effect a ritual of cleansing. By coming out of the water at his baptism. And having the spirit descend upon him. And a voice out of heaven declaring him son of God. No. By the woman touching Jesus. She did not make Jesus unclean. 
In fact, Jesus was already cleansed in his ritual of baptism so that he exercises cleanliness upon the ceremonially unclean in his earthly ministry. But in the ceremonial law, if a woman becomes cleansed, as you notice that we read in Leviticus this morning, she is declared clean after seven days. And then on the eighth day, if a woman becomes cleansed on that eighth day, she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons to the priest before the entrance of the tent of meaning. And the priest is to use one for the sin offering and the other for the burnt offering to make atonement before the Lord. Well, will you notice here that Jesus does not instruct her to act in the tradition of Levitical law and go to the priest. Remember? Remember? He made such a command of the man he healed of leprosy back in the first chapter. Why not the same requirement here for this woman? First, notice that she's immediately healed and cleansed. She doesn't need seven days to be declared clean. Second, please concentrate on verse 34. Notice what Jesus calls her. Daughter. Don't miss this this morning. Daughter. Mark never provides her name from the lips of Jesus. Why? We got the man's name, Jairus. Why not her name? Because her personal name makes no difference here. Rather, she is a daughter of faith. A daughter of faith. Are you making the enlightening connection in Mark's gospel? Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you back in the third chapter. Jesus says, who is my mother and my brothers? Jesus is clear in Mark 3.35... Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Are you seeing it? This woman has an eternal relationship with Jesus. She is his sister. Or in this case, he calls her his own daughter. The Son of God is now saying to this woman, You are my daughter. 
as the object of her faith, the object of her faith, Jesus knows her as his daughter in the family of God. By calling her daughter, Jesus has placed her immediately, immediately into the vertical, eternal realm of heavenly glory in union with himself. Do you doubt me on this? How does Jesus commend her faith? Look at verse 34. Go in peace. It's the only time in the entire gospel of Mark that Mark uses the term peace. This better catch your attention. (laughs) This better catch your attention. The only time. In the Greek, it comes over into the New Testament from the Hebrew word for peace, shalom. Congregation, this is the vertical peace of eschatological faith, meaning the final tranquil age of faith has come for the children of God, the church of Jesus Christ. It is faith in the fulfillment of the ceremonial priest, Jesus Christ. She, in effect, has presently, in the event recorded in our text, She has entered immediately. Do you remember Leviticus text? She has entered immediately into the eighth day. The eighth day. (laughs) This is an incredible priest. Found nowhere in the history of Israel. She is totally clean. She does not have to bring an offering to the tent of meeting. Her faith in Jesus has placed her in the heavenly tent of meeting since the final priest standing before her, will offer himself as the free atoning sacrifice to cleanse her and all those who embrace Jesus by faith from the uncleanliness of sin. No turtle doves. No pigeons are in her hand. She's got Jesus. The final atoning sacrifice will secure it all for her. This woman, as he claims her as his daughter, 
is the picture of how an immature, eternal faith acts and lives. At this point in Mark's narrative, you do not see such faith in the male disciples. No. Rather, in her life, you are seeing how faith lives waiting for our eternal glory. It is a life of suffering. Yes, diseases attack the flesh. Endurance characterizes our waiting for the final reality of eternal glory in heaven where the final peace of Christ's kingdom will truly reign for and in all of us. Yes, are you a daughter or a son in which Jesus is saying to you this morning, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? Your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ has made you spiritually well. Indeed, by our faith in Christ, the natural is transformed into the spiritual. You, by faith, are in the eternal kingdom of God, his church, forever. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, what faith in your providence that you bestowed in the heart of this woman. She herself is a picture of the pattern of one who is a servant of Jesus Christ. She herself became poor in order to become rich in the eternal kingdom of Christ. That is the pattern of Christ himself and his existence on our behalf. Give each of us a rich measure through thy spirit of such a living faith. We endure much in this world. We need this faith in the object of faith, Jesus Christ, 
who is the divine power of God himself. In Jesus' name, amen.